Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey, well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name's Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Today, my guest is Michelle Chaffant, and she is the host of the Adult Chair podcast. We have a wonderful conversation about being our best selves when we can sit in the adult chair and our adult self can help us navigate all the parts of our trauma, our inner child, our ego. Wonderful conversation with Michelle. She's just so much fun to talk to. And I just loved having her on the podcast. She is filled with energy and passion for what she does. And I love that it is practical advice that can help you move forward in your life in a way that creates meaning and purpose and really be your best self. So I loved talking with Michelle a lot, and I hope you love this episode as well. All right, let's go ahead and start it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I have a wonderful guest today. Michelle Chaffant from the Adult Chair Podcast. Michelle, I am so excited that you are coming on to the podcast and going to talk about the adult chair. Thank you so much for having me, Dwayne. So great to see you again. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm excited to have you on because I love your philosophy. We were talking about this a little bit earlier before we started recording, but just the whole philosophy of the adult chair and healing ourselves from past trauma, past hurts, and how that can help us heal our current life and relationships and all of that. So I'm so excited you're going to share all that today. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I can't wait to share. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so first, I would love I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this work and how you even started the Adult Chair podcast. Okay, you just asked me a whole bunch of questions. I, <laughs> I have to really condense this down. Okay. Okay, so you want to know a little bit about me and where the adult chair came from. So yeah. um, I am a therapist. I'm a coach, although I don't see clients anymore. I also have, again, the adult chair podcast and coaching certification now and workshops. I do all of this kind of thing. And this was all born about, as far as the adult chair model goes, 
it's really a culmination and a combination of so many teachers that I've had over the last 25 years. I've said, I've had some incredible mentors that I've been able to work with and the adult chair model is a, it's a manual for life. And you and I were just talking about this. What I found in my own life journey is that I didn't know what a healthy adult was. And here, right. and I think so many of us don't know what a healthy, and let me say this, an emotionally healthy adult. A lot of us know to be physically healthy, you know, you got to work out, eat right, you know, all of these things, take your supplements and your vitamins. And, uh, you know, people have an understanding of that. But when it comes to emotional health, humans aren't great at that. And we don't know, well, what, is that healthy? Is that not healthy? I'm not so sure. So for me, I really wanted to create something that was a touchstone for really positive um, emotional health for adults. Because I found in my own journey, I grew up in upstate New York in Rochester and Italian family. We were all enmeshed. We were, oh my God, I could go on and on. Right. We're all enmeshed. I'm going to say now that my family was a gift because now I'm able to talk about what I went through. And because of my own life journey and my own healing journey, I can now spot things like adult children of alcoholics, codependency, love addiction, love avoidance. I can spot all that a mile away because I lived it. That was my life. Right, right, yeah. You know, yeah. anxiety, depression, social anxiety. I had all of it, Dwayne. I mean, and I don't blame my family. I did for many years, but I really had a flip on that. I've done so much healing around. I'm like, okay, I now see they didn't know how to be healthy either. So how in the world were they supposed to teach me how to be healthy? I was raised with, you know, alcoholism all around me. And when I say that, it's just not my nuclear family. It's my extended family because being Italian, there are no boundaries. We're all... <laughs> it's not just right. mom, dad, sister, it's mom, dad, sister, grandma, aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, where it's all like one big giant family. So, yeah. So during, you know, my own healing journey and, and my own, I've always been a seeker since I was probably born. I don't remember not wanting to understand the how and the whys of everything from who's God, why, how do you know where we go and we die to how do we heal? You know, why am I so unhappy? Why do I feel like committing suicide? I don't know. I don't want to be here anymore. Those I had a lot of those thoughts in high school and in college. And I was saying to you before, there was no Google when I was in college. So right. we were I both talking about that. Yeah, there were laptops. <laughs> we had those big giant things, you know, was it DOS or whatever? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the I think it was DOS or Apple TV. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, yeah, like way long time ago. So right. I didn't know what was wrong, quote unquote, wrong with me growing up. I just knew that drinking a lot, smoking a lot of pot helped me out and eating a lot. So those are my three things that I did. And I knew that when I was doing those three things, it made me feel better. I right, wasn't experiencing right, yeah. the daily pain that I was in, the daily ferocious self-talk. I mean, my self-talk, right. my inner critic was so mean and hated me. And when I was doing those three things, I felt pretty good. What was interesting is on the outside, Dwayne, I looked like, you know, I had it all together, had the boyfriend. I was getting wasn't getting an undergrad. I didn't get great grades, but I wasn't failing out. So I was really under the radar. I didn't cause anyone too much, you know, there was no red flags because everyone else was partying too. But I was definitely functionally depressed. I lived with tremendous anxiety and I didn't even know what it was until I was going through and getting my undergrad in psychology. I was like, oh, <laughs> Right. Well, we on. were talking about this earlier before we started recording about how oftentimes we can be in like this pain. And it sounds like your childhood's very similar to mine in, in a lot of ways. You're like, we didn't have the internet to look out, look at what no. we were going through, but we were in some kind of pain or we knew we were in some kind of pain. But uh, and, and these things helped us, but we really couldn't uh, put it all together. And we were talking earlier about, like you said, it's like, oh my gosh, that's me. I didn't realize like I'm actually in pain. I'm actually suffering. Yeah. Didn't even know it. In fact, I knew that I was sad. And I remember going home, I think I was around 20 or 21. I remember going home for like Christmas and I was standing in line. At, we were, my mother and I were out shopping um, at the mall. And I remember I was standing in line with her I can still see myself right now. And I turned toward her and I had tears coming down my face. And she said, what's wrong? What happened? And I said, 
I have no idea. I don't know. And I said, I think I might be depressed. Like something's not right. And of course, back then, and we were now we're talking late eighties, right? You don't go and air in, in my family. Not my mother didn't say this, but my more my father's side of the family. You know, you don't go. Why would you want to air your dirty laundry to strangers? Is what I was told. Right. Don't don't let anybody know that you're struggling because you, this, yeah, this is bad. <laughs> that's right. not what you do. Like you don't tell anybody what's going on. Yet I was in so much pain, and I needed to talk about it. And they were telling me no. So my mother and I spoke and I said, I, I think something's wrong. Like I might be depressed. Cause again, I was getting an undergrad in psychology. So now I'm learning about this. I'm like, Oh shoot, this is what's right. going on. So I went to a psychiatrist. My mom said, well, go to a psychiatrist again, late eighties. There's not a therapist on every corner. There's no internet for me to look at. There's no coaches for God's sake. I, who was, I mean, the coach was like a football coach. There wasn't like a life coach. Right. So, right. you know, you're going to a psychiatrist or maybe a therapist and maybe if you can find one. So I went to a psychiatrist and he, I remember filling out a questionnaire, like with like hundred questions and I handed it to his secretary at the time and then she graded it and I went and sat with him and he said, yep, you're depressed. Here's your Prozac. Here you go. And here's the prescription, but here's four days worth and then you'll be fine. And I said, can I talk about what's going on? I just, he goes, yeah, go down to the mental health center, downtown Rochester. Well, I have social anxiety. I ain't doing that. You know, I was like, what? You want me to drive into the inner city? I'm so scared. Yeah, no. So I took three days of Prozac and I said, no more. I I, I had major headaches and intuitively, thank God, because I was a seeker and I was very connected to my intuition. I was always very intuitive. And I said, I know there's another way. I just have to figure out how. I have to figure out how to find a way to heal myself. And I was passionate about not just healing myself, but healing others and helping others. My whole life, I love talking with people and talking about their own their pain, but I said, I got to do myself first. So that's right. when it really started. Yeah. And you were talking journey. about, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely is. And one thing that really resonated with me was that you said seeker, I always called it that natural curiosity. Like I had to figure this out. Yes. Like I, yeah. I, you know, something is not working here. I'm not feeling right. I don't know what it is. Everything on the outside looks wonderful. You know, I was very similar in the same way. No one would have known, but internally I was, something wasn't, wasn't working, but yeah, that same kind of curiosity, like I've got to understand this. Yeah. That, and that's it. And I blazed down my path. And I still do. I don't think I'll ever not stop seeking. I I add to this model all the time because I f- I'm always learning. I love to learn. And I love to really just become the, the best version of myself that I can possibly be, the most authentic version. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like I just, this just part of who I am. I, I like this path that I'm on. So right. it's been a rough and- one in the, be- it was a rough one in the beginning, but you know, it got easier as I went on. So let's talk a little bit about that, that journey. And when did you start to kind of really realize like, these are things that can help me, or these are things that can help me get better or or feel better or change my life. Mm. I started realizing that in my, probably in college. And then I went on to grad school and on on top of my education, or I, I should say, aside from my education, I was very much a spiritual seeker again. So I was even back then, like, this is when, when, you know, there is a God, there is a universe, there's something out there because ironically, my mother's friend was very much also this spiritual seeker, this woman, Judy, I loved, and she'd come over when I was in my late and my, excuse me, my early twenties, I graduated from college, moved home for a couple of years, started my master's and then moved away again. But when I was living at home right after my undergrad, she'd come over and hand me books. She'd say, here, read this book. Here, read this book. And these were like really cool spiritual books. Like what 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 we might've called way back when, like new agey kind of books, like Conversations with right. God and things like this by Neil Donald Walsh. And I remember reading them going, yes, I've always believed in this finally, you know, but I right. had to rely on that because there wasn't an internet. But it was probably then when I really, really was like, oh my gosh. And I started meditating. And I remember getting books on law of attraction in my early 20s. So this is back again, 1990. 
I got a meditation and studied like chakras and energy medicine. So alongside of my very traditional education that I was getting, you know, undergrad and graduate degree to become a therapist, I also was studying the spiritual aspects of who we are as human beings and as spiritual beings. So, but yeah, I would say really college undergrad is when it all started for me. And it all started to kind of come together and, and yeah. you started to, to, to see your own healing through yeah. some of these, these things that, uh, kind of this trauma that kind of keeps us stuck. It yes, for sure. And I and I remember even starting a private practice when I was in my early 30s. I always integrated the spiritual self into the, you know, into this again, this very traditional, you know, way of therapy. And I was always more of a coach because I was like, you can't leave that part out. <laughs> like I was like, I can't just be this very traditional therapist. I needed the other stuff too. So yeah. That was, and kind that of seeing, I, you know, I, I, you know, talking to you and, and having talked to you before, like really bringing your whole self to the work. That's one of the things that I think is is so important is that I bring my own humanity to it with yeah. another person. It's like me and another person. It's not just I'm going to be this blank slate, which we're kind of taught in in graduate school is like you're going to be this blank Freudian slate. And, uh, yeah. I really found like, I, you know, that doesn't work either. I got to bring my whole self, my spirit, my, my sure. uh, soul to the, to the work, to this other person. And, and I really find like, that's what starts to the healing process to happen. Yeah. And the other thing I found was, and I say this, you know, I have a whole, uh, the adult chair coaching certification now. And what I teach my coaches is you can only take people as far as you've gone, because that was my understanding and my experience when I was going through, you know, starting a private practice and I had clients and I'm like, oh, wait, I've done this. It's not going to trigger right. me now because I've already worked on that work, you know, and I would find I could take my clients, you know, really far because I was doing my own work. You've got to do your own work, period, yeah. end of story. You have to, you can't skirt around it, numbing yeah. it out. Like we're talking about before, like, you know, when I was doing a lot of drinking and drugs or drugs, my drug of choice back then was marijuana um, and eating, you know, it, it, it numbs everything. It's, it's like pausing. It's pausing life temporarily. And then you hit play again the moment all the effects wear off. And all of a sudden you're back in it and the pain's right there again. You have to turn toward the pain. Right. You have to turn toward it. That's what I really realized about my own addictions were... You have to turn toward your pain. You've got to get to know your pain. And you, we, we have to learn how to feel our emotions. And that is something human beings are not taught well how to do is, how do I feel my emotions? What do you mean? <laughs> I can't tell yeah, you how many, exactly. right? And you know, like, huh? you know, like, like when you sit with a client, I remember sitting with client for so, clients for so many years and I'd say, okay, so how does that feel? You know, you had a fight with your whomever, mother, father, sister, brother, partner, husband, wife, it doesn't matter. How do you feel about like what's going on? And they go, well, what do you mean? <laughs> like, yeah, what, what, uh, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, and I, I think that's a skill set that we can learn if we have the right 100%. tools yep. and we have the right things in front of us. We can start to practice feeling our own emotions and paying yes. attention to them and not just running from them. You know, it's like, whoa, you know, this is too much. I'm, I'm running to the refrigerator. Or I'm running to the pot. Or I'm running to whatever whatever it is. Yeah. Well, we've got to slow down and turn toward and get curious. These are all things we do from this adult chair. And it's like, that's just the healthiest version of ourselves. That's what healthy people do. And again, I didn't know how to do that because no one ever taught me. Um, right. That's what we do when we're healthy. We slow it down. We don't judge ourselves. We don't judge anybody. Don't blame yourself or anybody else. It's like, okay, I don't care how old you are. You can start this any day, any age. I wonder what's going on inside of myself. And if you don't know what the emotion is, we at least can tell what the physical sensation is. As you right. know, sometimes I don't know that I'm sad. Sometimes I don't know that I'm in grief or that I feel like I don't matter. But I've got this really little itty bitty teeny tiny twang inside of my stomach. So when yep. I sat with my clients, I'd say, okay, so let's go there. What's that yeah. about? And what do you know? It starts to morph and sometimes it gets bigger, not scarier, but bigger. And then it morphs and changes and transforms and it's gone. 
And you don't even need to know that it was grief or that it was, I don't matter. It's just something that was in there. It's an energy that's moving through you. And it's like, oh my gosh, guess what? You just felt an emotion and you didn't even have to name it. It's okay. We can start there. We can start yeah. there, you know? And I think when you're with a trusted other who can walk with you, you're, you're not as scared of those feelings. I think we're so used to pushing them off maybe because of our own childhood. It's the only way we could survive, right. really, because we didn't have any skills to to be able to modulate our own feelings. So we had to yeah. run from them. And when we do it with a trusted other, we can feel a little bit safer about it and we can start to be curious about it. Yeah. And um, I love that work to see that start to happen in, in, uh, in individuals when they're, when they're struggling and they realize their emotions aren't something they have to be afraid of. Exactly, exactly. And, and, but I, I, and you know this from your clients, I'm sure, when inviting someone to you know feel the grief feel the sadness i i've had i don't i mean countless i don't remember how many countless over the 25 years i saw clients of um people saying but if i go there i won't be able to turn it off if i yeah. go there it won't be able to stop it you know and it's going to take me down or i've had clients say you know it's going to make me cry and i'll never stop or I'm going to throw up. And I'm like, I've never had anyone throw up in my office. <laughs> I'd reassure them. Right. And you will stop crying, I promise. But you got to go in there and let those feelings come through. But you're right, people. And it's sad to me that humans aren't good at that. You know, I, again, unless your parents or whoever raised you sat with you and said, well, tell me, Dwayne, you know, what's going on today? You know, you came home from school and seemed kind of quiet. What's going on? And then when you share well, I had a bad day, you know, someone picked on me today. So many parents would say then to that, like, oh, but you'll be fine. And shoving it on, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. We want to be in it with the kid, like be in right. it, say, wow, well, tell me more. And oh, that must have hurt. And to validate and mirror and 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 let that kid know I'm with you. And to, to match that feeling even with them is so freaking powerful. And I, I'm I'm glad to know that there's so much, you know, there there's that there are podcasts and internet now out there to teach us how to do this better as parents. But I don't know about you, but my parents did not do that. They loved me, right. but didn't know how to do that well. I mean, that's all that work of Janice Webb with her childhood emotional ne neglect. So we might have had great parents, but they just don't know how so to. We're, we're, yeah, we're emotionally and we just don't know how to do emotions very well. So that's what the adult cheer is all about. It's like. I'm really, this model is helping people learn how to feel your emotions, get in touch with the parts of you that are reaching for the addicted, whatever, substance, sex, porn, alcohol, whatever it is, and then learn how to live in that healthy adult. It's that the touchstone is the adult chair. It's like, oh, that's where I'm going. That's this, that's when I'm present, when I live in fact and truth and not in story and assumption. Uh, that's when I live with compassion and boundaries and empowerment. And, and I'm connected to my emotions. I'm not reacting to them, but I know what I'm feeling and I know how to express my needs. Like that's the ultimate healthy human, right? But right. we all are working on that path. You know, even I am, I'm not perfect at it, but I know where I'm going every day. And I know when I'm not in my adult chair and I know how to come back to it. And I'm learning again, every single day I get yeah. a little bit better. And I think it's a lifetime journey, you know? And I thought, I don't know about you, but I thought I'm going to reach that finish line. Hopefully by the time I'm 40, I'll hit that finish line. And I won't have to do any more work. And well, it's like, damn it. Darn it. It does. I know. <laughs> I know. We ends, were talking right? earlier about that too. It's like, oh, I've taken care of that trauma. I've dealt with it. And then all of a sudden it kind of like shows its, uh, rears its head in a, in a different kind of way in your body. But I think if you've got these skills and that does kind of reoccur, you have the skill set to be able to walk through it in a way that is productive yeah. in a way that actually benefits you. And, and it's, it's much quicker and we, and we grow and we learn about ourselves through it. And I think we begin to appreciate some of these things because of the lessons that they bring. When we start to learn that, we yeah. start to appreciate our feelings, even if they're difficult, even very, if they're painful, even if they, they, we don't like them, we get well, the learning from them. Yeah. And I found that I had to become friends with my emotions. So when like lonely would come up, for example, it would be like a friend swinging by. It's like that roomy, the guest house, if you know that poem, it's so yeah. beautiful. And it's like, you invite it all in, invite everything in and treat it as a guest in your home. 
and don't yep. shame it, don't judge it. It's like, oh, interesting. And it, this is when we become witness to these emotions. We feel them, but we're also witnessing, isn't that interesting? I'm sad today. Ooh, let me explore the sadness. There's rich information here and it wants to tell me something and it's here for a reason. Yep. So don't be afraid of it. We learn from it, we grow, and then we transform when we go into it. That reminds me of, uh, I went and saw Thich Nhat Hanh speak, and this oh. was a long, long time ago. And I remember uh, we were in this auditorium, and it's the most quiet auditorium I've ever been in, packed with people. But he comes out and he's talking, and he, he says something to that effect, which is basically, just invite them in for tea. You took the words. Yes, I've heard that so many them. times. Just invite yes. them in for tea. And it's yes. like, yeah, just invite these feelings in for tea. They're here, they're there anyway. Yeah. So you might as well, you know, invite invite them for tea and they'll they'll leave eventually. Yeah. And just that that calmness and that curiosity and fostering that way of thinking about yes. it just can shift everything. Totally. I remember this one example, I, um, I, my children were small. They're now 24 and 21, but they were little kids. And something had happened when I picked them up from school. I'd gone into the school, picked them up, drove home, walked inside, walked straight into the pantry, opened up potato chips, and I started eating chips, like unconsciously. And I remember saying to myself, hold on a second, because in the adult chair model, there's three chairs. There's the child, which is the inner child, the adolescent, which is the ego, and then the adult, which is the healthiest version of self. So I was sitting there like eating chips. And I said to myself, hold on, what chair am I in? And the moment I said that, I was, I remember the chip was like this, like midstream, like right about to hit my lips. And I go, whoa. And it was like, I woke up out of a dream, Dwayne. It was the wildest thing. And I thought, wait, what the hell am I doing? What is going on here? It was like I was in, in a dream state and I had woken up and I said, oh my gosh, hold on. I'm not in my adult. I want to be in my adult. And I said, what is going on here, Michelle? What are you feeling? And here's what was crazy. The craving for chips went away immediately, immediately. And this has happened to me now so many times. So that was the biggest like, wow, like, holy crap. And I sat there and I said, what's going on? And I said, okay, I'm irritated. And you know, I don't know, do you know NLP, how you go just go yeah, under and yeah. under and under the emotion. So I was like, okay, so I'm irritated. What am I irritated about? Oh, well. Or what else is in there? I felt, I feel sad, I feel angry. And I just started going under all these emotions. Well, the root was, which I wasn't even aware of in that moment as I'm pounding chips in the pantry, someone at school, when I was picking up my kids, she'd said something to me. It didn't land well, but I, I just brushed it off, drove the kids home. Then I'm, you know, with the kids and I'm, and I remember driving home feeling kind of off. And then I get home and I just immediately walk right into the pantry and start eating potato chips. Well, when I traced it back, I was like, oh my God, I was upset because of what so-and-so said. I'm like, oh, I so get it. And yeah. then I did a little bit of inner child work, which for me, inner child work is key because with, when working with the inner child, we learn what our true emotions are. We learn what our true needs are. We learn that, again, true feelings, intimacy, vulnerability, spontaneity, all of these beautiful things. So when we learn how to do that, we're learning how to connect into our emotions. It's one beautiful way to connect into emotions. So I remember talking to my inner child that day and I said, honey, it's okay. I'm here with you. You know, adult Michelle right. is here with a little girl, Michelle. And you know what? That girl, you know, she was probably just having a bad day, but I love you. We don't need her to love you. I am the one that love you. Craving was gone. Walked out of the pantry. Thank God. Yeah. And I went and, and I made, you, I remember I made dinner and it was like nothing. When we tune into the body, we, we realize it's a navigation system for us. And it tells us when we're off, when we're on, when we're okay, when we're not okay. And, you know. Absolutely. That's such a great story that you share because it, it, you, that, what I was also thinking as you were talking is that that compassionate voice that the adult part of us can then express to that vulnerable part of us that may be feeling rejected or, or yeah, like you said, I needed to be loved, whatever that is. And yeah. and changes that whole self-talk because yes. a lot of times before we do that, we're like, get over it. Get, you know, totally. you shouldn't yeah. feel that way. Yeah. Why are you so weak? Yes. Yeah. yeah no, God, no. <laughs> We don't want to say it that. It doesn't no. work. It doesn't no. work anyway. Just increases no. shame and, and makes everything worse. But having this kind of structure and that practice to be able to do that 
can shift all of our our way of thinking, our way of feeling, our way of being. Um, yeah. It's great work. Yeah, it's it's really powerful work. I love it. And again, that work with the inner child, it just, I was just doing it probably an hour ago before ju- jumping on with you right now. It's like, oh, what's going on? Just checking in. Mm-hmm. Now I have such a relationship with that part of me. I'm so in tune and connected. So I know when most of the time, again, sometimes I get triggered. I don't get triggered nearly as much as I used to. But once in a while, it like catches me. I'm like, oops, what's going on? And I check right. in and I reconnect to self. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're good now. You know, just that reconnection yeah. of the self inside is such powerful work. Yeah, definitely. And I think we get we get better at it as we do it too. And I think we also can know where our vulnerabilities are too, as yeah. as we practice this kind of model, being able to talk to ourselves in this compassionate way from these different perspectives. We learn where we're vulnerable. We learn where we need more support. I guess we really get to know ourselves. And and here's the thing with that, and I agree with you 100%, we do get to know ourselves. So in this model, the adolescent or the ego part of us, so we go again, child, adolescent, adult, but during the phase of the adolescent chair, that's pre-adolescence, adolescence, post-adolescence, it's when the ego is is forming and developing from the age of six to 25. What happens then, this is when we have all of these parts start to pop out and develop. These parts of us like codependency, like addiction, like we have an addicted part, we have a suicide part, we have a, per- per- a perfectionist part. When we get to know these parts and what their motivation is, it is a huge game changer. For example, even like our suicide part, that part typically is sitting here thinking, well, there's no other way out. I'm really trying to help you take care of this pain that you're in. It's like right. when we start and then when we get to know those parts. So again, I encourage people to turn toward all those parts too. get to know them. You're going to find out that they think you're about seven years old or 10 years old and they're doing their very best to keep you alive and keep you safe and keep you happy. But they don't know that there's a healthy adult navigating the ship. So right. when you start connecting with all these inner parts, like I remember connecting, like I was saying to you before, like with my lonely part, it's like, oh, there's my lonely part. She was 10 years old. I can still see her. She, I, I guess I'm visual. Not everyone's visual, but I would see this lonely part and I go, oh, you're here for a visit. What do you need? What are you here to share with me? I'm here. I'm the healthy adult. It's like when we build that relationship with our parts, we transform. Yes. Period. End of story. I look at where wh- who I used to be and who I am today. I am a completely different person simply because I got to know my parts I connected with my inner child and I learned how to feel my emotions. I don't crave. I never hardly ever drink anymore. I haven't done marijuana in probably, I don't even know, 30 years, maybe none of it. Now eating is something that I definitely don't do like I once did, but every once in a while I'll find myself reaching, but I catch myself. Not every time. Cause I'm still human. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> I'm not hundred percent. Fortunately, perfect. maybe not. Fortunately, not unfortunately. Fortunately I'm human, but um, I still have human moments where I'm like, Oh my God, what did I do? I had three cookies. What are you doing? And I'll wake up and go, wait, Michelle, what's going on? Checking in again. Boom. And then the cravings go away. It's kind of crazy. It's not to say that things don't go on, of course, physiologically in the brain state and all that. But uh, on an emotional level, when you get in touch with all the parts inside of you, man, it's a game changer with addiction. No doubt about it. Absolutely. We can start to nurture all the parts of ourselves that we we didn't know how to. And like you said, we're human. We're all human. I, I kind of say like, if, if we're doing this like 80% of the time, we're doing pretty darn good. You know, we're because doing 50% of the time we're doing it pretty darn good. Please. <laughs> Probably <laughs> even that. Maybe, you know? I'm, maybe I'm a yeah. little bit of a perfectionist 80% there. would be like the supreme human being here. But yeah, yeah. even right. 50% would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Definitely. So there's another question I want to ask that you, that yeah. you bring up on your podcast that I, I really love this part. And it's the part that you, you really say that we can only change ourselves. Yeah. And I, Very true. I, I, I love that because it, I think it keeps the focus where it needs to be in, yeah. in, in some way. But I would love to hear more about that from you and why you say that and yeah. how well, you realize can... that and all of that. So we, 
we can't change anyone else. Although, especially, and it's so hard for us, especially we can see, when we can see like, if they would only do this and this, if they'd only feel their emotions, <laughs> right. then they'd be so much better off. But it's kind of like if I said to you, like, are you a runner, Dwayne? Yeah, I used to run. I haven't run in a while, but yeah, I used to do like half marathons. And stuff okay, like so that. what if I said to you, um, hey, we're going to go and do an Ironman in Hawaii and we're going to do it in three months. So I'm going to start coming over to your house every morning at 4 a.m. and we're going to start training for four hours in every morning and, you know, da, 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 da. It's like, if you're not into it, you're going to be like, hell no, right. I don't want to do that. No, thank you. Right. No way. Do right. not show up at 4 a.m. I'm not interested. I don't want to do an Iron Man, you know. So that's what it's like when we're trying to drag someone else into healing. And I get this question a lot when people will write in and say, hey, you know, I want my mother to learn the adult chair. Can I get my husband in the adult chair? How do I do this? You know, I'm like, you can't. You yeah. can't. It's not to say that everybody cannot heal. Everybody can heal, but it's got to right. be our choice because when I drag my own husband into therapy, you know, if they don't want to be there, they're not going to put hundred percent into it. If you don't want to nope. do the Iron Man with me, you're going to do a half, you know, what kind of job at the Iron Man? Yeah. Or you're not, are you going to exactly. blow me off every morning at 4 a.m. because you don't want to do it. But if you want to do it, you're going to, if you want to heal, you're going to go to therapy. You're going to go to groups. You're going to go to whatever your choice is. You don't have to do all this stuff, but you're going to read books. You're going to meet with somebody. So we can't force anyone else to heal. It just doesn't work. And it's so frustrating because we do feel so good when we've done our own work. And it's like, but I've healed my codependency and I'm, I'm not drinking anymore. You have to come join me. But if that person isn't ready, and I believe everything happens in divine time, that person has to be ready. They've got to want it. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we want it more than other people, than they want yeah. it. You know, that's what we're That's so like, hard to let go of that, uh, you know, especially people we love, our relationships we're in when they're not healing. I mean, even with addiction, when we see, you know, family members who are struggling with addiction and there is this, you can be supportive, you can be compassionate, you can be kind, you you know, it's not about detachment, but really there's this letting go of like, it is their, ultimately their, their choice. And that's going to be so painful. It's so incredibly painful. And um, I know with some family members of my own, they were definitely had to drink, had drinking problems. And I'm like, you know, we could all see it. Yeah, And I never said, as so of course, we all wanted to say, if you don't stop drinking and, and someone, one of our family members, we did say that too. And you know what? It didn't change. Nope. nope. Didn't change. Doesn't change anybody. Like they can't, you know, again, nobody was going to tell me to stop drinking and smoking pot and overeating. In fact, yeah. it's interesting. I remember in college, my roommates, my other roommate and I, we were the two that like, truly were drinking in extreme. Like we took Friday nights off. That was our one night off. Every other night we would black out all the time. Like it was really bad. And I remember our roommates gave us AA pamphlets when we were in college. And I looked at them and I was like, what is, why would you give us this? Like, are you (laughs) out of your minds? They go, you get high all day. And then you're, you know, blacking out like numerous times a week, all week. You guys have problems. I'm like, no, we don't. We're in college. Everybody's doing this. Like it was normalized, right? I look back, I'm like, oh my God, not to yeah. that extreme. Like I was extreme. I was off the deep end with my drinking. And I thought yeah. it was pretty normal. No one was going to tell me I had a problem. But when I decided to stop, I stopped. I used to smoke cigarettes in college too. And I remember graduating because back then everyone did that. There were no vapes. Right. Everyone smoked right. cigarettes. Everyone went out and drank and yep. smoked cigarettes. I was up to two packs a day. And I remember I went to work right after college and my boss said, you know, you really need to quit smoking. I'm like, don't tell me to quit smoking. And then I decided a month later that I was going to quit smoking and I quit on the, on the spot. I was like, I'm done. And I was just done, but nobody forced me to do it. I had to decide. So we can't force anybody else to do it. We, like you said, compassion, I'm here for you, but we've got to have firm boundaries also with those people. You have to. Yeah, absolutely. And knowing where those are. But that's once again, going back to the adult chair and listening to yourself and getting the information of your emotions that are going to help help the adult make really good decisions for themselves with that with that full information. Yeah. And 
Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard. But I know too, when we're in a family or in relationships with people that are, let's say, drinking too much, just use that as an example. Like we have to get so good at our own self-worth, self-love and our own boundaries. Like what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Like, hold on a second. Did you just notice you totally didn't set a boundary? Or if you did, you didn't reinforce it. You didn't follow through. And so-and-so is still drinking or so-and-so is still doing this over here. And it's like, it's just not okay. So when we're in a relationship with someone like that, we have to get really firmly in our adult chair. We have to. And when we do that, then the relationship can change because the dance changes. Like if I'm showing up differently with you, and you're my alcoholic husband, and I'm setting boundaries for the first time ever, and I'm following through with consequences, then you may change. There's a good chance you will. And I've got to, though, do that for myself first, not for you, for me, for me. I got to love myself enough to do that. And uh, I I find that trap often that that we're not good with our boundaries. You know, is that a name or anything? Yeah, it's that whole um, systems approach. If I change the system, I change my part or my cogs in the wheel of the system, yeah. then maybe that will change the people I I have a relationship to. But still, once again, it's that this is about me and this is about my life yes. and what feels right for me. And if you change, that's that's wonderful. But I'm not going to do this change to try and get you to change. Doesn't exactly. really doesn't really work. You just have to exactly. do it because it's the right thing to do for and yourself. If, and if you're in a relationship with someone that says to you, like, I'll stop drinking for you. Uh-uh. Yeah. No way. I don't want to hear that. No, 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 no. I want that person to stop whatever they're doing, porn, eating, drinking, whatever it might be, drugs, like for themselves, because they want it. Right. So it really does require a lot of boundary, you know, really not a lot. I shouldn't say a lot. Firm boundaries. Yeah. Firm, firm, definitely. firm, firm boundaries. Yeah. With, yeah. with, with those consequences in place that you feel comfortable with. But once again, that can be so it's, it's challenging because it goes in against a lot of our other wounding that exactly. we have. It says, oh no, don't do that. Um, you're going to be alone. You're going to be, if you do that, you're going to be all on your own. Yeah. You won't have anybody in your life or whatever, whatever your wounding was about setting boundaries and, and being your true self. It'll like, it'll, it'll come to the fruition. It'll come, exactly. it'll come up to the surface. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why I always say, cause I teach a lot about boundaries and I always say, you cannot, don't even bother starting to set boundaries until you have solid self-worth. Yeah. You can't because what in the world are you protecting? What are you speaking up for? Like you've got to feel valuable on the inside. You've got to feel like you matter, that you love yourself on the inside of self first. Then you realize, oh wait, I've got something to protect. Then you'll set a boundary. Then you've got some, then it's like, wait a minute, you're not respecting me. I'm going to set a boundary because I'm valuable. If I don't think I'm valuable, I will never set a healthy boundary. I cannot do it. You cannot do it without self-worth. You yeah. cannot do it. You have to develop that. And that's where like your model, the adult chair comes in, is yes. giving you the skills and the touch points to do that process. Yeah. And to and what I love about that too is that here's direct things that you can do. Yes. I, you know, that's like, the one thing. Yeah. With this model, I give people a lot of easy, as it, people say it's uh, simple psychology meets grounded spirituality. It's simple. Here are five things that you do to build self-worth. Here are six steps to heal codependency. Here's, you know, it's like very, very grounded, very easy steps that you can start applying like today. I just That's finished awesome. writing actually a self-worth online course. I hope to have it up by probably the fall, late fall, but Because I'm so, I mean, it really is the foundation for everything. You can't heal codependency unless you have self-worth. Like you've got to have that. You can't set boundaries without self-worth. You're, if you're enmeshed, you got to know who you are before you start separating from everyone else in that family. Addicted people, I didn't have any self-worth. In fact, my tagline for who I was, was that I was damaged goods. I even had a visual. 
I thought of myself like a box that was delivered around the world like five times during Christmas. So it was torn and tattered and had tape sort of falling off of it. That's how I felt about myself on the inside. And it's self-worth. I thought I was a piece of crap on the inside. Outside, I could dress well. I could put makeup on. I knew how to do hair. On the outside, I had a really pretty mask that I wore. But on the inside, I felt like crap. I felt awful. And it's self-worth. I'm telling you. I mean, I just really, I'm passionate about it. It's a really big part of who we are. Well, I, I, you know, what comes to my mind is, as you're talking is that like, if, if you don't feel you're valuable, you feel like you're this package that's gone around the world, you know what, you're going to be alone. You're no one, yeah. how can anybody love you? And if you have some kind of attachment, even if it's unhealthy, it's at least I got that, you know, at exactly. least I have that. And it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's even though it's a dysfunctional attachment that I'm, I'm here with this person in my life is, is abusive or aggressive with me you name it. Like they're not kind, they're lazy, they don't contribute, whatever it might be. At least it's someone or something. It's like that's yeah. someone with low self-worth that would, that would, um, and again, I don't say that at all as a judgment. I never judge anybody. It's right. a fact. This is factual stuff. You know, right. you, you're right. not going to speak up until you feel good about yourself on the inside, period. You, because you just can't. Yeah, and I, yeah. I say this, when you walk into a jewelry store and these most their most expensive diamonds or jewelry is in the case, what do they have around that case? What do they have around those diamonds? An alarm system. <laughs> because <laughs> that's a because great analogy. They're valuable. They mm-hmm. and then you go over to the other pieces over here where you have like $10 mood rings. Like there are no, there's no alarm system on those. But you over here on the other side of the store where all the valuable pieces are, you can't get in there. It's under lock and key. There's alarm systems going on. It, that's a boundary because those right. pieces are worth a lot. So just like humans, you're not going to take care of yourself and set boundaries unless you feel like you're worth a lot. And that's right. building self-worth. And I would say those mood rings don't realize they're actually diamonds. No, that's true. That's you know? true. And they should also have a case around themselves and they should have yeah. an alarm system. But, once yeah. they, but we can we can start to realize that. Uh, 100%. Through time and, and change and, yes. and, and doing yes. these things and seeking out help. And like you said earlier, being a seeker and that curiosity, there are so many resources out there today to help you if, if you're struggling. So yeah, I, if can I give your listeners a resource? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I created this because again, for me, the inner child is like everything, like it's the foundation, it's it's the it's the basement in the in the apartment building, like you need to have a solid foundation. And if you can feel your emotions, and know what your true needs are, it starts to change everything in your life. So I created this resource. It's just at theadultchair.com forward slash inner child. And it is two inner child guided meditations and um, journaling prompts to help you to start getting in touch with with your inner self, with that beautiful inner child part. It's free, 100% free. And people report back, they're like, oh my gosh, I am bawling. I had no idea that I could connect with my child in such a way. And I'm noticing what my emotions are. Like you can listen to it over and over again and, and journal over and over again, but it really connects you deeply to the inner self, which is the inner child. And again, begins to build up self-worth. You have to connect inside of the self in order to heal an addiction or just in order to be healthy. I don't care who you are. To be healthy you've got to build up again that self-worth and this is a beautiful way to do it. Absolutely. I think you answered my question I usually ask at the end of all my podcasts. I think you just answered it, (laughs) but it's like, what's the one thing you would want to tell people out there if they're listening and maybe they're struggling a little bit? What would you want to tell them? And I think you just answered it, but (laughs) I'm I'm going to ask it again. Anybody can heal and transform their lives. Anybody. I don't care what's going on in your life. Anybody can heal and transform and live healthy, authentic lives. You just need tools. Like you just need, you need that roadmap, how to do it. What you offer is beautiful. You have a roadmap. What I offer with the adult chair, I mean, many people out there have this stuff. That's what I do with the adult chair. I teach people how to heal and transform their lives in a very simple way. So I really want everybody to hear that. Please don't. I was suicidal. 
Like I had thoughts of suicide. I was like, I'm ending it all. I don't want to live here anymore. This is the, I, I can't do life. Like I said, my ruminating thoughts were atrocious and I'm a completely different person. Those thoughts don't even enter my mind. Like gone. I, I, I can't even believe I used to think like that. I had mood swings, depression, anxiety. I mean, I was not in a good place in my 20s, honestly, and, and for the earlier part of my 30s. And I am 53 and a completely different person. And it started deep. I started deeply changing from the age of 40 to 53 where I am today. And I'll continue to change. So anybody can change. We just need the right tools. Awesome, Michelle. And where can they find you? Theadultchair.com. Or Michelle awesome. Shelfandong, it's the same thing. It takes you to the same place, but theadultchair.com, all the resources. If you want to become an adult chair certified coach and go teach the world how to do what we're talking about today, come join us. Our next class starts the very first week of March. We've got, you know, a membership. I've got in-person workshops. I, well, not with COVID right now, but you know, right, right, <laughs> and of course right. the podcast is there. Yeah. They'll come back. They'll so yeah. Back. Yeah. The adult chair.com. That's where everything is. That's where you can find me. Awesome. Michelle, I'll put all those in the show notes as well at the addictedmind.com. Michelle, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and just sharing your passion and, and your wisdom and your experience. I just, I love it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love my time with you. I know you've been on my show, so thank you so yeah. much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you once again for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you are getting a lot out of listening to the podcast. And if you are, it would be awesome if you could write a review on iTunes. That really does help people find the podcast and uh, gets the podcast a lot of exposure. And if not that, maybe share the podcast with a friend. That'd be cool as well. And if you want to continue the conversation online, just think about joining our Facebook group. Go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind Podcast, and click join. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.